going to share with you today is one that's been very heavy on my heart, and I'm very excited to be able to share it with you, but not for the reasons you might think. Um, let me tell you something. When I speak to you guys, I always get this message first, and so God has just, it's something he's been dealing with me in my personal life, in my heart, just in the position of my heart, and I think this is just really de dealing with the position of all of our heart, because the popular message is the one where when I speak, you're elbowing that person next to you and going, this is for you. That's the popular sermon where you're thinking about someone else while the message is being shared, going, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. They really need to hear this. Well, that's the popular message that you think everybody needs to hear. This morning, the title of my sermon is an unpopular message. So I want you to write that down because the unpopular message is the ones that we need to hear, the ones that are for our heart, that God, we need to open up our heart and allow him to deal with those things that a lot of times we won't deal with or we won't visit. And I don't say all that to make you nervous. Oh boy, why did I come to church today? I should have stayed home and, and watched the rest of the NFL draft or whatever. <laughs> I believe that this is going to be a great timely word for you. I know it is for me, and so I'm just going to share it as the Lord gave it to me. So with that being said, would you go in your Bible to the book of Luke and the 10th chapter the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. I'm going to set this up for you. I, re I read this last week, but, um, you know, people are always trying to catch Jesus in some kind of trap. They're always trying to trap him because they didn't like him. You know, they were threatened by him. They didn't think he was the Messiah because he didn't come the way they thought he was supposed to come. And, and so a lot of these people are going, okay, we're going to try to show that Jesus is a fraud, that he's a fake. And so all of these religious leaders of that day were just trying to ask him questions, to try to get him to double talk or to slip up or to make a mistake to where they could go, aha, see, we told you he wasn't really who he said he was because remember when he did this or said this. And they were always trying to set him up to say something that, you know, they could take and pull out of context and use to kind of, you know, smear him. And this is one of those scenarios where this lawyer comes up to Jesus and he tells him, he says, Jesus. I'm really smart in all the, the law and the commandments of Moses. And so why don't you tell me, what is the best commandment? What is the most important one out of all of the commandments of the law? And Jesus looks at him and he says, well, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, listen, on actually, Jesus said, actually, on these two things, if you'll do these two things, you won't have to worry about all the do's and don'ts in the law because if you love God and you love people, that pretty much takes care of everything else. You don't have to worry about murdering or stealing or lying or adultery if you love God and you love people. He said, basically, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. You need to love God, and that's what you need to do. And the guy's just going, oh, man, good answer, good answer. And he was like all frustrated now. And so he's going to still try to trip Jesus up because this guy's relentless. He's not giving up. And he says, well... Who is my neighbor? And Jesus proceeds to tell this story in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus said to him, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his clothes, wounded him, departed, they left him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest saw this guy that was beaten, left half dead, you know, robbed. The priest walks by. Then a Levite came by, he saw the same guy, looked on him, he passed by on the other side, riding his camel or donkey or whatever. And then a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. 
and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of this guy. Whatever you spend more other than what I gave you, when I come back through town, I'll repay you. Now, which of these three, he looks back at the lawyer and says, Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? And the guy said, Well, the man that showed mercy to him. And Jesus looks at him and says, Go and do likewise. You see, here's the thing. Jesus heals hurting people where they're at. Jesus heals hurting people where they're at. He doesn't ask them to come to him because he has all of this laundry list of prerequisites to accept his love. Like we're trying to run for, you know, office of accepting God's love. And so because of that, I have to have all of these prerequisites and all these things predetermined and figured out. And then I go to him and I say, now, Jesus, will you love me? No, Jesus healed hurting people where they were at. Think about all of the miracles that Jesus did. Did he say, well, Mr. Blind Man, before I will heal you, you know, you've got to meet this certain criteria. And, you know, well, no, that wasn't how it worked. He just said, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus went to where he was and he healed the man. Think about the leper. You remember the story of the leper that Jesus actually touched. Leprosy being a very highly contagious disease that would actually rot off your flesh. People had to wear bells and walk around with these cloaks and say, unclean, unclean, everywhere they went. Everywhere they went, they had to identify that I'm an outcast. I'm an outcast, unclean, stay away from me. Don't get what I have, it's horrible. It's going to destroy your life, unclean, unclean, I'm an outcast. And Jesus touched that man. You know, in Jesus' time, if you touched a leper, you were considered a leper and you had to go live among them. That was kind of the rule. You know, like, we're not taking any chances here. It's not like, oh, let's see if it, it actually catches if you caught leprosy. No, you touched the guy. And so because of that, you got to go live with the guy. Jesus took a chance to become an outcast in society himself by touching this man. Could have healed him from a thousand yards away and said, hey, Mr. Leper Man, be healed. Stay back there, though, and tell me how it works out. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus went up to this man who had not experienced the touch of another normal, healed, whole human being in years. And Jesus walks up and he touches the man. He went to where he was. Jesus didn't say, well, go take a bath first and scrub extra good. You know, get some Germex and then I'll touch you. That's not what Jesus did. You see, Jesus didn't have this laundry list of all these prerequisites before he would actually show this person love. No, he went to where he was. Think about all of the times that Jesus did miracle after miracle. He went to the people. He was among the people. He went to where they were. And that's what Jesus still does today. He heals hurting people where they are at. In other words, he's not trying to bring them to a certain place before they become worthy of his healing or his love or his compassion. You see, just like that man riding his donkey that day was willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of another man who couldn't do anything in return for him. The guy had nothing to offer. He had already been robbed. (laughs) He didn't have anything. It wasn't like, man, maybe if I help this guy, he'll give me that gold chain, because that gold chain is, what? And he's like, no, the guy ain't got nothing. He's left half dead. This guy can't do anything for me. I don't even know who this guy is. I can't even recognize who he is. He's just beaten, laying there. This guy can't do anything for me at all. But yet, I'm willing to inconvenience myself for the sake of another without expecting anything in return. That's what Jesus was saying being a neighbor is. 
Now, when this guy went on his journey, he didn't pack oil and wine because he just hoped that he was going to run into somebody who had been robbed and he could use those supplies to help that man. No, he packed all that stuff for himself. He wasn't planning on riding two up on his donkey or whatever animal he was riding. He would have brought another animal if he knew he was going to run into somebody else. No, he had prepared for himself. He had prepared all these things for himself. He bought the oil for himself, bought the wine for himself. He rode this animal for himself. He brought the money for himself that he brought. But yet he was willing to take all those things that he had prepared for himself and for his journey to stop and to get off of that animal and put this man on his animal. Now I'm walking, okay? Are you seeing this? I'm walking now. I'm inconvenienced. My oil and wine is now less than what it was because I've used it to pour on somebody's wounds that got robbed. The stuff I brought for me, well, that's not fair. Well, that's what Jesus was trying to show us, is that it's the heart that will do things like that. It's the heart of God that will do things like that, reaching, hurting people where they are at. You know, Jesus never attempted to qualify people that he loved. Y'all out there today? I said Jesus never attempted to qualify people that he loved. You see, actually, Jesus surrounded himself with a crowd of people who were wounded and rejected. Think about the people that Jesus hung out with. He showed those people acceptance. Jesus hung out with people that were adulterers, people that were thieves, people that were tax collectors. He hung out with these people, people that were betraying their own country. People that had been rejected by society. People that had been rejected by their own ambitions in life and, and just had to go and work in their father's trade because they had nothing else to do. And then all of a sudden Jesus said, no, I'm going to accept you. I'm going to say, come follow me. I'm going to say, hey, come with me because I'm accepting you. I'm loving you. Where? Where, where after you've already accomplished all these things and you've been so great, you know right where you're at. Where did Jesus call Matthew, the tax collector, after he'd already got everything figured out? No, he called him when he was collecting taxes at the table. He said, hey, Matthew, come here. You can come follow me. Did he go and say, okay, now, uh, um, Peter, James, and John, after you guys, you know, kind of figure some things out in life. No, it was while they were mending the nets to go out. They, were, they weren't thinking about going into ministry. They weren't thinking about this is going to be the day that the Messiah is going to call me. No, it was just business as usual. They were mending nets. They were about to go fishing. And then Jesus says, come follow me, and they dropped him. And they said, he's accepting me, he's wanting me, he's welcoming me, where I'm at. You see, Jesus hung out with these people in the book of Matthew, in the ninth chapter. Check this out. Matthew 9 and verse 10 came to pass that Jesus sat and had a meal in a house, and behold, many publicans and sinners came down and sat down with him and his disciples and were eating. Ooh. What? Jesus would sit down and eat with sinners. There's the thought. That Jesus would sit down and eat with sinners. My goodness. Matter of fact, you can read on there. It says that the Pharisees got all offended. And they're all like, how dare this man claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God, this great prophet come in and would invite these people to dinner and eat with these sinners, these lowlifes, these no... How? Why would he do that? He was meeting them where they were at. 
He was loving them right in the middle of their sin, right in the middle of their circumstance, right in the middle of their struggles and their pain. He met them where they were at. Because you know what? One day, there was a, a, an old man who had sat down when he was a teenager or a young man, and he had a dark past. Jesus welcomed him to the table, and they ate there together. And he remembered now as an older man, as a grandpa, he's walking hand in hand with his grandchild, and they're going maybe to hear, I don't know, uh, Peter speak after Jesus has already ascended into heaven. Or maybe they're going to go hear the Apostle Paul speak. He's walking with his grandchild, and the grandchild said, you know, why, why do we go to church? Why are we going to hear Paul? I said, well, let me tell you about what Jesus did. Let me tell you, we're going to go hear about Jesus. And guess what? When I was young, I sat down whenever I was doing all of this stuff, and I was in all this darkness, and he welcomed me to his table to eat with could you imagine being able to tell your grandchild that story? I sat down and ate with Jesus. He welcomed me. He accepted me right in the middle of my sin and my junk and my failures and my weakness. Right there where I was at, he invited me. He, he sat down and ate with me. He didn't reject me. He didn't push me away. He didn't say I wasn't good enough to eat with him. The son of God. I, I, I watched him as he was crucified. And then I was there. I was, I, I was there as, as we all watched him together ascend into heaven. I ate with that guy back when I was living in all kinds of darkness and sin. He welcomed me then, and he still welcomes me today. You see, Jesus heals and reaches and loves hurting people where they are at. And he broke all the rules. Jesus broke all of the rules that man imposed. Not to be a rebel, not to be some kind of hippie. Like Jesus is like, oh, hey, man, yo, it's not like peace and love. It's like, uh, it's like really good, you know, peace and love. And, and it's like all 60s and stuff. And it's like, oh, you know, we're just going to love Jesus. And, 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 and we're just spreading the love, man. You got to spread the love, not war, not hate. Come on. That wasn't what Jesus was doing. He wasn't some kind of stoner hippie. That wasn't Jesus at all. Jesus wasn't Mr. Rogers putting his cardigan on and changing out his slippers. He wasn't some type of, of rebel, but he wasn't some type of softy either. But let me tell you what he was doing. He wasn't doing that just to be a rebel. What was he doing that for? To show us the heart of God. That's why he was doing it, to show us the heart of God. Jesus did the things he did. He defied all of the rules man imposed because man's rules were a reflection of man's heart. Man's rules were a reflection of the fact that I think because I can obey all of these rules that that makes me better than you. And because man thinks he's better, he thinks he's got this thing figured out and he's got his own brand of self-righteousness and he won't even sit at the table with someone that he thinks is not worthy to sit with him. But Jesus did. Jesus broke all the rules because he was showing the heart of God. He was showing us the heart of God. Now get this. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. That's what the church is, is the body of Christ. He's the head, and we are the body. We're his hands, we're his feet, we're his joints, we're his toes, we're his knees. We're the body. Every one of us make up the body of Christ here in the earth. We are supposed to be reflecting what he wants us to reflect, and what he showed us was his heart while he was here on the earth. And let me ask you this. Are we a true representation and reflection of what was modeled in those four Gospels? 
Are we that true reflection of what we can read, what we have written about Christ and what we know about Him? Are we showing that same type of love, that same type of acceptance? Or do we have our prerequisites before we will show people love and compassion and mercy? Do we have our laundry list that people have to meet our criteria before they're worthy of our love, before they're worthy of our compassion? That's not the way Jesus rolled. Jesus said, listen, I'm going to reach you where you're at. That's what Jesus did. Are we willing to reach out and love people for the purpose of being healed from wounds and scars in their lives and offering them hope through Jesus Christ? Let me ask you the question like this. Let me ask it like this. Do we believe that two-thirds of our New Testament, our Holy Bible, was written by the Apostle Paul? Do you believe that? We believe that. We see. We see all the things that the Apostle Paul authored. Now, but can we get past the fact? I mean, really, really think about this. Do we believe that two-thirds of the New Testament, our Holy Bible, was written by a man whose prior occupation before coming to Christ was killing Christians? was overseeing their death. Do we believe that God could forgive someone like that, restore them, and then they could end up being the author of two-thirds of the New Testament, and that's okay? Because in my mind, I mean, I'm not God, and you all better be grateful, but (laughs) I'm not God. I'm not God, but if I were here, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if I'm going to choose someone to write even one book of the 66 books in the Bible, I think that when I'm looking for criteria and I'm looking at your resume, when I see murdering Christians, yeah, that will probably get you knocked off of that list pretty quick. Something that extreme, but yet God can restore and look at what God did through the life of Paul. And we have an issue with somebody that has a little bit of a past. Come on, somebody. We have an issue with somebody who's maybe been through some junk. Maybe they've been in jail. Maybe they've, they've, they've made some mistakes. Maybe they've made some poor decisions. Maybe they're uh, struggling with hurt and wounds and things they've dealt with their whole lives. And yet we judge them and we look at them and we say, oh, well, <laughs> let me tell you something. You know, uh, you, you just stay over there and, 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 and do your thing and I'll stay over here and do my thing. And we won't reach out to that person and show them love and compassion or acceptance. But yet a man who killed Christians can offer two-thirds of the New Testament? That messes me up. That messes me up. It makes me think, golly, who am I? Lord, because I'm nothing apart from Christ. Amen? You see, if we really believe in grace, then how big should our hearts be as His body for those people who are wounded, hurting, hopeless, lost, and confused? Do we love people unconditionally? And do we really believe that Christ can restore, He can heal, He can forgive, He can save? Or do we believe that before God can love you or before God will listen to you that you have to look like me? Because I can follow the rules. Because I've got it all figured out. Before God will love you or accept you or want to welcome you into his family, you, you, you've got to have everything just put together. Before God will listen to you, you've got to look like me. Here's the deal, folks. The goal is never to be like me. The goal is to be like Jesus. Amen, somebody. I'm going to say that slow so I can say that some more. The goal is not to be like me. The goal is to be like Jesus. 
It always has been. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, the Apostle Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, it's all about Christ. If I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. You need to follow me as I follow Christ. Because it's all about Jesus. It's not about me being so awesome. Right? It's all about Jesus. He's great, and I am nothing apart from him. And here's the thing that we forget as Christians that we've got to get internalized and always at the forefront of our mind. No matter how long we've been saved, no matter how spiritual we may be, no matter how many accomplishments or how many things that we may have done, no matter how strong we may be as Christians, we never ever get good enough to stop needing Christ. We never get to the place where, I'm good, I don't need Christ anymore because I got it all figured out. No. We never stop needing Christ. You see, sometimes we think that because we've accomplished certain things in our lives, in our walk with God, that, ele- that, that somehow elevates us above people who may have more apparent issues. We think we don't need Christ as much as they really need Christ. Because you can tell these people are messed up. And they really, really, really need Christ. No, they need Christ just as much as you do. Because apart from Christ, there is no hope. Apart from Christ, there is no hope at all. None whatsoever. You see, Christianity is so much more than us just being good, moral, happy people that have good, happy lives that treat one another nice. Amen? Christianity is all about Christ. That's why it's called Christianity. Christ. Followers of Christ. Followers of Jesus. Imitators of Christ. That's what we're called to be. And we all need Christ because apart from Christ, we are nothing more than a self-help program. Apart from Christ, we are nothing more than just good information and good advice. It may even be biblically sound and biblically uh, rooted and grounded, but apart from Christ, it's nothing. It's all about Christ. The entire Bible points to Jesus. Everywhere from the very beginning to the very end, it's all about Jesus and it always will be about Jesus. Because he's the hope. He's the hope of the world. Not not me being good enough. No, because I can never be good enough. Because apart from Christ, I'm not good enough. I can be the most upstanding, moral individual who is just sure of himself, who's successful in business, who is very kind to his wife and very kind to his kids, and be destined for a hopeless, lost life because I don't have Christ. It's just not people who are hooked on drugs and who are alcoholics that need Jesus. Come on, somebody. We look at people and go, oh, they got issues. Look, you can tell they're kind of messed up. They need Jesus. We all need Jesus. It doesn't matter if our issues are apparent or not because there's things in our heart that are evil and wicked and selfish. And the only one who can ever fix all of that wickedness and evil and selfishness is Christ. And that's because he gave himself selflessly. He was the perfect sacrifice because he knew in our flesh that we could never save ourselves. He had to do it for us. See, a lot of times we look and we think, oh, I'm so much better than somebody else because of everything I've accomplished. And we look at ourselves like we're David facing Goliath and we've got our sling and I've overcome the giant in my life. And I have hit that giant with the word of God with the sling and I have overcome the giant. No, you're not David. You're not David that overcame Goliath. We are not David. Jesus is David. He overcame Goliath. You and me are the Israelites who were scared that never could go to battle. 
Because we would have got whooped. And every time we try to go up against Goliath, we'll get whooped. It's not my victory. It's Christ's victory. It's because of Christ I'm victorious. Not because I'm so awesome. It's because he's the one with the sling in his hand. Everything points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. So the goal is not to be like me. I mean, you can say, hey, he has great, that person has great qualities. And, and, and I really like the way that person you know, treats their wife or parents or children. I can learn things from them. But I'm not trying to be them. I'm trying to be like Jesus because they need to be trying to be like Jesus too, no matter how much they've gotten accomplished in life. No matter how many of the typical struggles in life that they have overcome and that they may seem to be doing well in, they still need Jesus. You never get to a place where you don't need Jesus. If you think you've gotten to a place in your life where you don't need Christ, you're in a dangerous spot, my friend. Because no matter how good you think you are, you'll never be good enough to not need Jesus. And that's the gospel truth. You see, I believe that where God is calling the church, the body of Christ, and more specifically where God is calling Word of Grace is a place of deep, authentic love for God and people that drives us to serve the world. I mean, it drives us to serve. It, it, it strives to point people to Jesus. It strives to point people to Christ because He is the hope. We are not the hope. If you're looking for me for hope, all I can give you is Jesus. It's the best I got, but it's the best and it's the only hope you'll ever find. Amen? I've got nothing to offer you except for Jesus. He's the hope of the world. He's the light that shines in the darkness. Jesus still is and always will be the hope of the world. He's that light that shines in the darkness. I have no hope of forgiveness. I have no hope of peace in the middle of a storm, or even after I have gone through tragedy in a storm, I have no hope unless I know Jesus. I don't care how smart Dr. Phil is. I don't, I, it, it doesn't even matter what preachers I even like listening to. And I go, oh, I like that person. It makes me feel good. Yeah, well, you know what? That may be a great message. That may be a very inspirational thing, but beyond actually trusting Jesus, there's no hope. Beyond any type of self-help or anything that you could try to look to, there's no hope except for Jesus. Because you can get everything in your life fixed and tied up in a bow, but if you don't have Jesus, you're still lost. Get everything cleaned up and looking nice and looking like you got it all together, and you still need Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He wants us to overcome. He wants us to walk in victory because he paid for all these things. He doesn't want us strapped to all this junk that we walk through in life. He wants to see us healed and freed and forgiven. He wants to see us to be able to make it through tragedies and, and, and to be able to still know that he's still that hope. Even though men may do dark things like we saw what happened in Boston and how dark that was and how evil and wicked that was and how much it hurt us. I had people at the gym the very next morning asking me why. Why, why would this happen? Why in the world would this happen? I'll tell you why it happened. Because men's hearts are evil. That's why it happened. That's why things like that happen. Because men allow evil to build up in their hearts. And because of that, they're used in a very evil way to do very evil things. And they themselves are angry. They've allowed this evil to set in. They're frustrated. They're hurt. They're angry. Whatever the case may be. And they project that out through 
causing hurt and panic and pain to others. It's very evil. It's very wicked. But let me tell you something, folks. Even in the middle of tragedy, there is still hope as long as we have Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we're just going to try to make it through and get over it. But we don't have any hope because only Christ can give hope. See, because of Jesus, there is hope. You may have lived a life full of tragedy, but I've got good news for you today. There's hope, and his name is Jesus. You may have made some big mistakes in your life, and you may have gotten yourself into a lot of trouble because you've made a lot of really dumb decisions. Maybe, you're in, maybe you, you look around at all of the things you're dealing with now and go, man, I really have made a lot of dumb decisions. And you're thinking, man, if I wouldn't have done this, if I, I shouldn't have done this, I, I coulda, woulda, shoulda, maybe I, maybe I could change this. No, 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 no. You can't sit there and dwell on all of the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. It's about what am I going to do today. I don't care how far you may feel removed from the grace of God. All you have to do is put your faith and your trust in Jesus, and there's hope in that. Amen? And it is His grace, it is His love, it is His kindness, it is His truth. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. You see, it's His mercy, it's His goodness, and it's His truth that helps bring us to a place where we can understand how to walk in victory in our lives over the things that God wants us to walk in victory over. Nowhere in Scripture do you see someone that was full of regret because of bad decisions they made, that that was the key to them getting over it. Because they kept hitting the rewind button and the replay button and the coulda, shoulda, woulda. No, those people don't get over it. Matter of fact, we allow that wound to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And it gets harder and harder and harder. And we get more angry and more angry and more angry about it. More upset. And unforgiveness sets in. And all this junk sets in because we haven't dealt with it. But when we realize that Jesus is our only hope and His grace is sufficient, then I don't begin to put myself on the ranking system of how I think that God views me because of my past. I understand that He loves me because He sent His Son to die for me and I am good enough for Him. And when I understand that, it helps me to go, Wow, God really does love me. He's not, he doesn't have all these prerequisites before he'll offer me his love. I've just got to choose to accept it. I've got to choose to accept it. And then it begins to influence my heart. It begins to influence my thinking. It begins to influence my decisions. And then all of a sudden I begin to have a better life. Why? Because I've allowed his love and his grace to influence my heart in the way I think and the way I make decisions. That's how you move forward. Not by living in the past and living in regret. But apart from Jesus, there is no hope. Amen, somebody? Amen. You see, I'm not trying to make you like me because I'm put together. Because if you spend any amount of time with me at all, you will figure out real quick that I am somewhat flawed. <laughs> I know that some of you are shocked. And some of you are just, oh, our pastor is flawed. But yes, I'm not perfect. And, and, and I'm never saying that... I've never tried to say that I am. So the goal is not to try to be like me. Or no matter how spiritual that you may think you are, the goal is not to be like you. The goal is to be like Jesus. And the goal is to allow what he's done in me to be reflected in my life, in my actions, in my attitude, in my decisions. And I do that through allowing him to influence me, allowing his word and his love and his mercy and his grace to influence me to change my life. But... That's not the prerequisite to accepting his love. He loves you right now. You've just got to accept it. You know, John 3.16 is the perfect scripture. 
Because in the Bible it says, for God so loved who? The world. He's not talking about the planet. He's talking about the people. See, God so loved the people of the world that he already chose the gave. He chose you before you would ever choose him. He chose you before you ever had the opportunity to choose him. But now you do have an opportunity to choose him. Choose to accept his love right where you're at because he's meeting you today where you are at. I've just come to a place in my life where I recognize that you need Jesus just as much as I do and I need Jesus just as much as you do because it's that love of Christ and the grace of God that I've experienced in my life that causes me to inconvenience myself for someone else's benefit. To not think of myself more highly than I should. To say, you know what? This person is not the type of person that, you know, I would normally feel comfortable around or want to hang out with. But I'm going to inconvenience myself. Why? Because I love people. Because I love God. Out of my love for God, I love this person. And I recognize that they're hurting. And I recognize that they're in need. And I recognize that they're just as lost as I am without Jesus. That's the thing, folks, that moves me to want to step outside of my plans, my thoughts, the things that I like to do, the things that maybe even I've prepared for myself, and inconvenience myself to reach someone who I'm not looking for anything in return. I'm just looking to show you the love and mercy and compassion of Christ because the same heart that's in Christ is put in me. We say prayers all the time. God, come into my heart. Come make me clean. Put your heart in me. Put your spirit in me. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Lead and guide my life. Lead and guide my heart. And we're asking him to put his heart in us. But if his heart were truly in us, don't you think that our actions would line up if we allowed his heart to truly be in us? we allowed his love to truly influence our lives, don't you think that our lives would reflect that to where we wouldn't be judgmental before someone is worthy of our love, before they're worthy of our compassion, before they're worthy of us being inconvenienced? No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, your neighbor is that guy that's down on his luck. Or that lady struggling that needs hope. Stop and inconvenience yourself to show them they matter. Because if people recognize that they matter to us, listen to me, if they recognize that they matter to us, then they can begin to understand that they matter to God. But how can they love a God whom they can't see when they see these people who claim to love God and know God that they can see not loving them? If God is so good, then why aren't the people who say they love Him so much just as good? should be and we can be and we are going to be because we love God we love people and that causes us to serve it causes us to give it causes us to show that Jesus is the hope of the world the light that shines in the darkness amen somebody that's not normal that's weird it it goes beyond everything that we would naturally want to do because our human nature our flesh wants to serve ourselves and serve people that are like us, that I like, that I want to be around. I don't want to be inconvenienced or have to do anything too out there. But no, the love of Christ will. The love of Christ will meet people where they're at. The 
love of Christ will meet people in, in the jail cell. The love of Christ will meet people on the side of the street. The love of Christ will meet that person that may not be that type of person that I normally socialize with, but yet because I see they're hurting and they're wounded, I want to reach out to them and show them compassion and love because it's the heart of God in me that's compelling me to do that. Out of my love for God, I love people and it causes me to serve. It's the love of Christ shed abroad in our hearts that lets people know Jesus is real because we're real. That's how people know Jesus is real, because we're real, because we love people where they're at. We need to show others that they matter to God because they matter to us. There is no prerequisite for you to matter to God, so there does not be, need to be a prerequisite to matter to us. You simply have to choose to accept His love and His grace by putting your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus. We bow your heads this morning. Heavenly Father, just help us to know where to go from here. <coughs> help us to know the next steps that we need to take as men and women of God. We'll come in here week after week and hear sermons and messages, the challenges that cause our hearts to weigh heavy or cause us to have a repentant heart, God, because we recognize how sometimes we can become so selfish and try to make things about us that were never supposed to be about us that we excommunicated people or ostracized certain people because they weren't like us or because we thought everybody had to be like us because we were so great or we thought that if we could just overcome this certain issue in our life then we would be good enough for Jesus to use us or to love us but God you've shown us through your word and through your spirit today that you love us right where we're at and you'll come to us and meet us right where we're at and you're speaking to the hearts of people in this place and you're saying I want you to come to me because I've come to you. I, I'm, I'm meeting you where you're at. and I'm extending my hand and I'm wondering if you'll extend yours. And so if you're here in this place today and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus Christ in my heart. He's coming to me and I'm ready to choose him. He's chosen me and I'm ready to choose him. If that's you in this place, I want you to let me know that you're here by lifting your hand and putting it back down. Jesus' name.